Welcome to This Week in Craft Beer, the podcast, a weekly show where we interview the people making the magic happen in the UK craft beer scene, sponsored by Beer Nuts, premium crunchy coated peanuts for beer. So I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast Miranda and Bates, a married couple behind Duration Brewing in Westacre, Norfolk. Prior to launching Duration in 2017, Miranda had a broad business management background, including theatre, interior design and launching a charity. Bates learned to brew at both the smallest and the largest breweries in his home state of South Carolina before following Miranda back to her hometown of London in 2009. Bates then worked in the restaurant industry for a while as there were hardly any breweries in London at that time including notably developing the recipe for the dead hippie burger at Meat Liquor that my good friend Stuart is a huge fan of. Bates then joined Brew by Numbers in their early days and was quickly promoted to head brewer. Bates and Miranda launched Duration in 2017, initially through a series of collabs with some of the leading UK craft breweries at the time, including Cloudwater, Daya, Burden, Gypsy Hill and LHG. And in 2018, Miranda and Bates embarked upon the mother of all barn conversions at West Acre in Norfolk as the wonderful permanent home for duration. Guys, please can you introduce yourselves and then talk me through the background to what you've built in West Acre and what you're continuing to build. Hey there, so nice to be chatting with you tonight. Yeah, do you want to go first, Bates? Yeah, I'm Bates. I make the beer mainly, fix things at the brewery. <laughs> clean a lot of shit pretty much what i do day to day with it originally from south carolina lived over here for 10 or 11 years now yeah just kind of had the bare bones and what i wanted to do with actually making the bears and designing the brew house and things like that but uh, i think miranda got more into the actual physical planning and all that sort of stuff so we kind of tandem that yeah, I'd, I'd worked a lot with architects and photography and been around lots of sort of creative people being the sort of processy and production-y kind of person. So I enjoy creatives, but don't see myself as a creative, but love how you make that tangible and how you connect that to everyday life. So I see my role as, well, I sort of fulfill like any small business you kind of do a bit of everything but I really enjoy the marketing and um you know the the making sure the beer lands where we want it to so I, I like uh, running events and thinking about where we position ourselves and you know what type of customers we want to attract and um, how we present in the world so I think Bates has the creative control I would say on term in terms of the product and how we're a farmhouse brewery and that we want to sort of differentiate ourselves through connecting beer to agriculture and we want to um you know maybe step outside the bubble of beer a little bit and there's a lot of people that just beer is beer and you just drink it in the pub and I think connecting back to that's really important for us but also we want to be the best of the best and so we we've got these ambitions that we want to you know meet all the other brewers that are out there and just and just bring something beautiful and possibly a little bit different to the table fantastic so in terms just of sort of technical detail for a moment can you describe the um the brewery that you've built in terms of capacity and capabilities yeah so so we've put a 20 hectolitre uh, three vessel brew house engineered by braucon which is german manufacturer mm -hmm. in a, a 16th century um barn that's on a working farm out in in west norfolk where all the barley grows lots of pigs and lots of other sort of crops growing up um yeah it's a semi-automated which uh in german parlance that's very automated <laughs> uh, but yeah three vessel kind of designed it to where i can brew lots of small table beers to saisons and then all of our hobby stuff we can really control in the whirlpool uh, being able to drop the temps for different whirlpooling hops uh, then the cellar is sort of the same, where we can ferment under pressure, we can dry hop under pressure, just via lots of studying and working in it, trying to control all the parameters to make the best beer that we can with also minimal waste and resource. Mm -hmm. At the minute, we're, we're kind of brewing um, twice a week, and most of our cellar tanks are... 40 hectoliters, so that probably gives you about 250 cases right. of beer at a time. And we also have a wood division where we've put in a cool ship and uh, some fooders that we've sort of toasted and charred 
to specific specifications. So we've kept that whole building separate because we want to dedicate a lot of our time. While Bates was saying we can make lots of clean and small beers mm -hmm. um, and fresh beer, we also want to make a lot of spontaneous and agriculturally forward and kind of mixed fermentation beers. And so is that side of the is that side of the brewery commissioned and in production now as well? Or? Totally yeah. full cellar. Yeah, Fantastic. A long game with that. Uh, we hope to package our first one sometime September, October, probably October. Yeah, we're just in the process of sort of ordering the bottling line and a packaging mm. tank to have on the wild side because mm -hmm. uh, obviously we want to keep everything pretty separate because... Yeah, uh, the main focus was getting those things filled because they'll obviously take a while and then we can add in bit down the line as we got into production and had some money coming in, so... That way, on even the mixed ferment side, you know, we'll be counter pressure filling, trying to keep everything as tight parameters as if it were a dry hopped IPA. I, I don't believe in like the mixed firm stuff being bulletproof, as some people will sometimes think. I don't know why you wouldn't control as much as you can with that side of stuff. Obviously, you kind of let go to uh, what will be, what will be kind of in the nature of spontaneous stuff, but you can control some parameters and everything with it. So we're just building it slowly because it's a slow product. So we're just adding it as we go along, adding more fooders, adding more barrels, things like that to where hopefully about a year in production, we'll get to where we can release something every two to three months, sort mm -hmm. of. I think it's never going to be the main driver obviously because it's much slower production but we can use all of the equipment on the clean side and pipe it over to all of the barrels and sugars and everything fantastic we sort of had to eyeball everything we were going to do in terms of growth and while the small brewers relief reform might be trying to um, alter our yes. initial plan, <clears throat> um we kind of had to think about where we wanted to be year one year two year three so we did quite a lot of future proofing and put in sort of slightly bigger vessels um, on the hot water tank, on the um, steam generator and how we power um, the brew house. And so there's a few gaps where we can grow into, especially on the tanks. So we just started off with three um, tanks in our cellar, creating 100 hectolitre capacity across three different beers at a time, yeah. which was where we were at for three, four months and during lockdown we actually added an extra um 40 hectolitres mm -hmm. so we've got four tanks just to add a little bit of range and we always planned to sort of grow maybe at you know six months and 18 months so that just made us piss or get off the pot a little bit <laughs> 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 come out the other side yep but yeah so so we we've definitely got space um to get to probably where we'd want to stay which is our sort of five-year goal is to coast after that point i don't think yes. we're planning to be a brew dog or any kind of big volume beast yeah <laughs> sounds great before we dig any further into into your story let's talk about this first beer that i'm drinking which is doses uh 5.1 german pilsner i think it's delicious moderate bitterness i would say slight hint of, of bready malt to it perfect hot weather beer should have saved this for the weekend really because it's going to be 30 degrees isn't it but uh, it's still a lovely beer even though it's only 20 degrees this evening so i'd love to get your sense of, of what you're aiming for here um, with this beer and where you'll take it next yeah in essence it's just a classic german pilsner snow bells and whistles it's all german hops all german malt all german yeast lager is one of those things that there's nothing to hide behind and it's a pursuit sort of perfection so we only change it incrementally each time we brew it. Uh, like I've got a higher protein uh, malt that's going to go into the next one that I want to toy with. It's a bit more of a really traditional German malt. Um, so we'll change that, see how it comes out the other side. It's not a beer that you go throwing. I mean, I might be uh, the only one in the crowd, but I hate a lager with like mosaic or cetera or something <laughs> like that. It's so pointless. It's, not, it's about the nuance. It's not about, mm -hmm. yeah. Sort of thing so that's why it is just middle from sapphire magnum might we go down the line of like technang or sas or something like that but it's never going to be about that it's about all of those things playing together and often like with with a wit or a, a pilsner you you want to drink a fair amount of volume of it don't you and it's a yep. hot day you want to feel refreshed and you just it doesn't need to over complicate i guess with yeah yeah too much so, so yeah, and then 
our brew house is essentially designed for making lagers. Uh, German brew house had to twist their arm to make a larger whirlpool because they asked me why would you ever want to put more than five kilos of hops in a beer. <laughs> We've got a Meritson in tank right now that we'll release for a fest beer. Yeah, for uh, September and everything. Um, and that's kind of uh, a double time with that because it marks the time that we went and first saw our brew house was right at that time in mm. September. In Bavaria. In Bavaria, yeah. where oh, okay. we drank nothing. Well, so, you drank so nothing but medicine, so you were like... Yeah, so I mean, it's kind of doing that. So it just coincided with like, it's a kind of anniversary beer for us as well as just one of my favorite mm. styles of beer. I nice. feel like there's some part of us that wants to just, you know, we're new and we're, we're a new kid on the block and, and the brewing world has been kind to us and you know, as you were saying in your intro, debuted us if you like with lots of collabs. So I feel like part of our first year is just establishing ourselves with a little credence and saying, here's a Pilsner, here's an American Pale, here's a West Coast IPA, you know, and just doing a classic take on that and then building trust and then saying, right now, walk with us to where our taste lies, which, you know, for us is a little bit Belgian, it's a little bit spontaneous, right. it's yep. American influenced. And, and, you know, exploring a bit. But, but first off, I feel like it's, it's landing and just doing a few classic beers. Yeah, I mean, even our, a lot of our pails are kind of wolves in sheep clothing sort of thing. Uh, we don't say it on the label, but quite a few of our pale ales are actually Saison's. Oh, okay. um, yeah, yeah. But you put Saison on the label and then people don't want to buy it, but you just put pale ale on there because it is a pale ale. I'd say they're not Saisons. I'd say they're Belgio-American. Like, yeah. They're, yeah. they're definitely hoppy and they're definitely that, that sort of juice, you know, aroma. There's fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of the stuff, but often it's the yeast that's just sort of bringing a little... Belgian farmhouse yeast in there as well, yeah, yeah. So sometimes, you know, you need to, I wouldn't say hoodwink, but, you know, a lot of people think that, oh, I'm... If, I don't want Trappist beer or I don't mm. want quads. And you're just like, but Belgian isn't about that. Like a, a beautiful grisette. Like, you know, we've got a beer at the minute called Little Fanfare that's just, you know, the way that you want a Pilsner or you want a wit. It's just like that. And it's just so refreshing. It's it's not this overbearing kind of fearful saison that people yeah. can freak out over. <laughs> yeah, and to me, beer is about uh, community and companionship. Uh, I don't want to be looking at a screen and ticking off boxes, drinking a beer by myself. I want a beer that uh, I can share with people, have quite a few of, uh, that has enough nuance there that you can pause and reflect on it. But at the same time, you can shut the fuck up and drink it and just enjoy the conversation. (laughs) Bates, I was going to ask you actually what the South Carolina craft beer scene was like as you were learning your trade. 20 years or so ago give me a sense of the number of breweries and the styles of beer and just a general sense of, of the business at that time slightly non-existent uh we were actually one of the states that were still in what they call the blue laws okay. so you can beers over five percent you couldn't buy any beers in the grocery store over three five or three eight so it's mm-hmm. just predominant bud light coors light all of that so while i was working in the brew pub that's kind of parameters we had to work with which worked well because you made a lager at five percent and made a hefeweizen at four and a half and all that sort of stuff so it leaned itself to sort of classical beers for the people that were out there exploring and not just macro it wasn't until i took second brewing job that they finally exnade that law and you can brew stuff over five percent so the brewery i was working at we brewed the first double ipa in the state back then it was eight percent and white crystal malt heavy uh had a brand new land race hop called amarillo mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, i mean that just kind of shows you where it was then yeah uh, i mean honestly didn't boom and get to be it was a very niche market up until kind of the late 2009 and by the time i moved over here that it was just really fetching fire i remember the when bates and i were courting um and I was like on my second trip back there. We'd met at a cotton plantation and I was on I was on a bit of a holiday and then and then he'd come over for a bit. I went back for a bit and we were we did like a basically it was like a bourbon trail plus a sort of east coast um craft beer mm. sort of and you know, I was trying flights and 
visiting Wicked Weed and just mm. Laura. And I was feeling like the thing that really struck me in South Carolina was that on a Sunday, you could not buy booze. <laughs> so there was this whole like, Americans are really good at being entrepreneurs, I think, and embracing something and taking something and rolling with it. So there was all these amazing, tiny at the time, tap rooms and just the whole explosion of, I remember being the alchemist and just going around all these places that just were blowing my mind. And then, and then there was this total Bible belt of like, we all shut down on a Sunday and we, and we don't drink any sin. <laughs> Weird. When was that repealed? Is that relatively recently? Yeah, it's 2004, 2005. That's what I say. It was the second brewery I worked at that they repealed. And then about three years later, you could buy alcohol on Sundays at restaurants and bars. And then about another two years, it was you could buy it at the store. It was just that bygone era of about 10 or 11 states through the south of mm -hmm. Prohibition movement, all that stuff that... There's just antiquated laws that just finally people look around like this is fucking stupid. Um, we could be making beers that we could sell on Sunday. Why is Sunday all of a sudden you can't drink this day? Mm. So yeah, that got pushed out. And then like I say, it was about the time I moved over here that it really took off and everything, 2009, 2010. So yeah, to answer your question, I think there was four breweries in South Carolina when I kind of first started now I don't know but off the top of my head I'd say there's probably well over 100. We were really fortunate that last Christmas um, we went back to the States and we actually did a couple of collabs and they're just coming to fruition now Ooh, nice. so we've got a couple of kegs coming over of beers that we made with Birds Fly South that are in Greenville South Carolina and then um, Zillicoa who are in just over in in North Carolina. Right very good yeah Will that make it into can, yeah. or is that is that just going to be kegs? No, they were all mixed firm, so oh, okay. it's all. So they probably will send us some bottles, but I think mainly we're just trying to get a couple of kegs to have if events ever. Yeah, I mean, we we, we were planning if London Craft Beer Festival goes on, then we were planning for them to be there, but that that might or might not happen in November now. But we did like a um a wild lager and a and a mixed firm goes. Oh wow, they both sound wonderful. But, yeah, the lager was a Mexicanus yeast strain that Birdflight South had been playing around with, and they had allowed it to open ferment as well and go a little funkier. So it was primary and stainless for the first kind of half of it, and then it was put into uh, X white wine barrels. Chardonnay, was it? Yeah, for cold fermentation, and they're like walk-in. Mm. Uh, then Zilcoa was a goze, but it was a very traditional goes of open top mixed fermentation with their mixed house culture. Then it went into uh, wine barrels as well for another seven, eight months sort of thing. And we used salt from here that we brought over. So these things and salt that we took over in a, my luggage. And yeah, they we, thought we were drug dealers. Yeah, like, it why sounds a bit suspicious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, I had to explain why I had like 10 kilos of backpack. Mold and salt. Yeah. <laughs> But that was a real honour for us to do that. And um, mm. Zillicoa, at the time, I'm not sure if they've set up their full brew house at the minute, but at the time they just had a cellar and they were brewing with their buddies over at Euristico. And, and then they'd put the wort... That FB on the, that they mounted onto a trailer that they yeah. could take it over and pop it over into there. So we'd ride on the back of a pickup truck like with <laughs> the beer we just brewed and nice. pitch it into an open-top fermentation vessel in amongst all their fooders and drink a few beers with the guys from Burial. And we were like, one day we'll have mm. our brewery. <laughs> and there you do. Uh, I have a question for you, Miranda, actually, which is, uh, we spoke briefly about your, your previous business experience already. I'm curious to sort of learn from you how that helped you to, to sort of get duration off the ground, particularly thinking about the, the charity that, that you were involved with. That sounds like it was, you know, sort of a bootstrap major undertaking. And so I'm curious to know how you sort of built on those experiences. Um, I would say the charity taught me collaboration. I'd say my previous jobs working like with architecture and um, project management helped me a lot with this project in terms of, you know, time management, delivery, 
um, just planning something, visualizing it and then budgeting it and bringing it into being. But the charity, I would say in the charity sector, you have a lot of people who are really passionate about a cause and they'll pretty much die for it, you know? So, so the charity I worked for was sort of helping to end gender-based violence. So, so women that have been really marginalized and put in some really compromised positions and then they find themselves in a bit of a, an area where they don't want to be and they've got children and they, and they need to try and come back out of either dangerous or, or not healthy environments. So the people that work with those women are just real advocates for letting you know what you can be if, if life hadn't took you right. and, and you up and spat you out. So seeing the vision of something, the potential of something, what it can be if it's not indoctrinated by you know malignant forces so there's with how i relate that to beer is bates is this amazing to me amazing visionary who sees Mm -hmm. what the world could be if beer were gifted in the way that he sees it right and he's quite a quiet person and he doesn't you know shout about it so my job became if we take away the hop juice and the fomo and the and the you know and you just strip it back and you sort of think about what can happen when you sit down at a table and you say, here's a beer that I made with love. I want you to drink that. And I want to, I want you to tell me about your day mm-hmm. and I want you to tell me what you think of this beer, but even don't just drink. Then the charity gave me that. Like, so for me, I thought there's this talent and there's this idea that I don't even fathom yet. I don't even know what mixed firm beer means. I don't know what wild yeast can do. It's like, my senior networks it's mushrooms it's magic it's wizardry it sounds great it tastes delicious and how you even make it but if this guy has this idea i need to find him all the kings all the queens not that there's that many queens but you know let's pro the queens in in this industry and let them give him the space to like believe in himself so you know we did a a few collabs and all of these other people were like what's your idea Bates and and in those conversations when we were having the collabs and people were saying tell me about your journey your story I got to hear what Bates was saying and so the collabs for me and that knowledge share and that way that um, small independent brewers that are really full-on passionate almost to their detriment about what they want to put in the world that's what it was about for me so if if I could get Bates to talk to those people it would make him think well they're just doing it why shouldn't I be doing it I'm like an instigator I'm just I'm quite ballsy a bit of a terrier and just just like getting on with stuff and Mm. so he's he's like the love of my life and he's he's got brilliant ideas and I was like well let's make it happen man fantastic let's do it One thing I wanted to chat to you about briefly is, is so, you, you know, you, you've based yourselves in East Anglia, which is a beautiful part of the world. There's some really, really interesting breweries up your way. Uh, I'm thinking specifically about All Day Brewing and those guys doing a lot of experimental and, and mixed firm uh, yeah. beers. And I think they, they've planted their own hop farm, as far as I understand. They it, have. And, uh, and they? Lit, um, Little Earth Project yeah. in, in Suffolk, also mm-hmm. really interesting uh, beers and, and, and a really interesting approach. So, so I'm just curious if, if you're in contact with these guys and, and you know, they're sort of, I, they strike me as being sort of kindred spirits of, of what you're aiming for at, at duration. Totally. I feel like there's also Ampersand, there's also a yep. whole well, um, micro breweries and sort of cask forward breweries that often go unnoticed. Yeah, um, um, All Day Brewing were the first brewery that, that walked on our potential future site and they came and introduced themselves and bought an amazing uh, Baltic Porter for us to try. And I think they've come up from a homebrew kind of background um, and have a real element of experimentation and um, exploration about them. And they're, they're on an organic farm and they've, they've got eight polytunnels that they sort of grow peaches in and then do random things with apple leaves. And, you know, they're, they're like brilliant experimenters, I think. And then, yeah, you've got Little Earth Project who do a lot. They're from a cider background predominantly, aren't they? And um, I, I've really enjoyed visiting Danny and Tom a couple of times. They've been up here a couple of times and um, they do a really nice beer called... Um, hopless romantic right tastes amazing on on draft and yeah i think i didn't i think there's a lot of 
I feel like Norfolk is just one of these places where, or East Anglia, where life goes at a different tempo and everyone's kind of been left to it a bit. So there's, there's a lot more openness to just going where you want and marching to the beat of your own drum. So I, I love those guys for those reasons. Little Earth Project was also covered by Good Beer Hunting, I think, weren't they, um, a few months ago, as indeed you guys were uh, in a beautiful, um, beautifully photographed, lengthy article as, as only Good Beer Hunting can do. And and so, you know, having, when I read the Little Earth Project article, I sort of immediately you know, got onto Google and figured out where they were and, you know, and, and there's somewhere you can stay close by. In fact, they, I think it was a campsite, actually, haven't they, Little Earth Project? Or, or I think it may be... Um, yeah, they have they have a big grounds where you can pitch a tent, and they mm-hmm. do a festival. Um, I think a couple of times maybe they do a festival, and then they also they're, they're quite remote, so it's like down a long track and a windy road. And then they also I think have a couple of converted rooms, so it's it's a really nice um, cycling trip, road trip, mm. yeah, to be had. So they're very much on my urgent to-do list as soon as that sort of yeah. thing is, is possible again, as, as indeed are you guys, of course. You know, this is uh, mm. starting to become There's a, a great bit... Pop and Barley article called The Rise of East Anglia, but it was like mm. dispatches from the Far East or something like that. And, uh, <laughs> and it covered Ampersand, uh, Little Earth, Duration, and maybe Burnt Mill. I feel like it did. No, okay. didn't it Burnt... Yeah. But Burnt Mill's kind of on that circuit as well, if mm-hmm. you wanted to have a road trip i guess nice yeah very good please join us after the break when we consider the current abv arms race and bates goes deep into the origins of the new england ipa this week in craft beer the podcast is sponsored by beer nuts beer nuts is a british company inspired by the european fashion for pairing savory snacks with different beer styles beer nuts are premium crunchy coated peanuts and come in three great flavors classic masala curry and jalapeno They are packaged in 100% recyclable, plastic-free, single-serve cans and are vegan-friendly. Next-day delivery is available from their webshop at beernuts.co.uk, spelled B-I-E-R. Beernuts are the ultimate beer-pairing snack, perfect for pubs, taprooms, bars, bottle shops and more. For details of a special offer, please see page 7 of our weekly newsletter at thisweekincraft.beer. So I'm back for the second half of the show with Miranda and Bates from Duration. Um, and what I'd like to start with on the second half is let's talk about the ABV arms race, which seems to be going on right now in the beer industry. You know, we've gone from IPAs becoming double IPAs, seems to be becoming triple IPAs this year. What do you think of that as a, as a trend in the industry and how are you reacting to it or are you ignoring it? Yeah, I think it's something it's the same as the late 90s early 2000s the ibu race in the states of i can make more better beer than you thing um and i actually think it's a backlashing trend uh, in particular we're seeing it now with this whole lockdown sort of thing we sell faster and more three percent four percent beers than we do seven and eights and even talking with other brewers and stuff like that they're like much more trend people wanting to have a six pack of five percent beer or six pack of four percent beer than we are one off sort of eight percent nine percent and tens and stuff so i think it will come full circle and kind of come back to it and tame down a bit i i i was reading um about you know how people have gone back to six packs and how rather than i love going to a bottle shop and i love speaking with that bottle shop keeper and i love that curation of you know these are the beers to try and this is what to do and filling your basket with, you know, eight or 10 different beers. But I also think there's a, there's a sort of comfort in, I know this brewery is good and I just want to have six beers in my fridge that are the same. And I think there's something in that, but I also think a lot of that comes from being out. So that whole race to do one upmanship sort of happens because people are watching. So I feel like, you know, when you're at a festival, you want those kind of drinks. And I, I want them too. And I think you want to try something totally different. But I think there's that, that it's not voyeurism, but there's that sense that you're doing it for show or there's doing that. It for your you know, untapped or your Instagram uh, audience. Yeah, yeah. or you <laughs> seen to be, you know, bringing the, the sort of glory bottle to the, the bottle share. And I think there there is, you know, whales and rare gems and, you know, this hall and this kind of cool find and all that kind of stuff is fun. It is really fun. And if, if you're wanting to geek out with a load of friends, you're like, you know what, I've 
got this bottle of impiece out I've been sitting on it for ages I my share of you and it is kind of fun and I think that should exist it's just when it it needs to be in check and like not all of us are sort of full of disposable income and able to do that and out in the real world there's an honest price for an honest pint and I don't know like yeah it gets the clicks and I sometimes feel like there's also just day-to-day drinking and and that in itself can be beautiful and elegant and but it is it's very much I mean it's sort of a bubble uh I know that gets bandied about a lot but 95 percent of the people out there don't give a shit about your 10 and a half percent triple IPA. They want a sessionable beer. Like I said before, what we try to do is I let the beer talk for itself, but I also let it be quiet so you can talk to other people. I mean, I think, I think the majority of the world still drinks in pints and halves, you know, like I definitely enjoy those kind of beers in a third or, or a tiny little bottle share pour that isn't even measured and I I do like to try you know a few different beers of an evening and I tend to sort of work up through the ABVs and start low and probably finish there is going to be a barley wine or some kind of big strong thing banded around I tend to do it at the end of the night and then bow out but go out in a blaze of glory yeah (laughs) yeah but I, I think that I don't think they need to be mutually exclusive. Like, why can't you? Why can't you have those kind of beers at festivals and you know hop about a bit? And why can't what's in your fridge? You know, sometimes be that, but but more often than not, at least for us, I it's, just, it's I, not. Yeah, I kind of miss when those beers were seasonals. It made them more special. You yeah. had them once. That's great point. Yeah. This is our uh, Southern Hemisphere Dry Hop Double IPA. We make it mm. once a year. This is our Northern Hemisphere Double IPA. It's the one-upmanship that kind of makes it like perennial newness, and they're just like, come on, let's just let's just land somewhere. Because if you think of it as a supplier and a, just the act of making the label and putting it on your web shop, and then we've got lots of pubs that want a permanent line, or they want maybe a, a rotational line that changes every three months out here, you know, and they're just like, why do you why do you fucking keep changing the bits? Like, who's asking you to do that? Why are you doing that? And we're just like, good point. Like, maybe we should just have four or six beers that you can always get and then layer in, you know, two or three seasonals, a quarter, and that'd be it. <laughs> As a follow-on to this previous question, what do you think about brewers hiding the ABV in their beers? Nothing is more celebrated in beer reviews these days than a, an 8% beer that tastes like a 5% beer. It's a, it's a slippery slope. And do you think almost it goes far as to say that that brewers should be obliged to make their beers at least somewhat taste their strength? Or is that just an absurd concept? Uh, I mean, speaking from a brewing concept, you brew it correctly and you have an 8% beer and you go through your fermentation for files and all of that stuff, you're trying to keep those usual alcohols, big alcohols out of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't think that's a bad thing that you're hiding it. It means it's well balanced. You don't want it to run hot. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. And it's one of those things of if you do it well, you have to run a balance. So alcohol does add body and adds flavor. So just because you're not tasting the alcohol, that body and that slickness or that uh, accentuating hops does come from the alcohol. That's why it's so hard to make a 3% table but that's, beer. But that's where I think the prestige lies, is if you can deliver a table beer that's a really low ABV, but you, you work with your grist and, and, and your hops and everything that you do to make it have a beautiful balanced flavor and a really nice mouthfeel and also just really enjoyable then that is the other way. And if it lifts it up and you're like, wow, I, ha- I can't believe that that's just 3%. That's, that's so full-bodied and that, you know, so flavoursome, so hoppy. That's the way I think that it impresses. I totally agree. I think that the, the, the true mark of brewing expertise, as you say, is being able to brew those table beers and still have them really flavoursome and have a good mouthfeel and, and so forth. I've, uh, I've got an order coming from Track tomorrow. Nice. That, uh, that that includes a four pack of Sonoma because how could you order from track and not have some Sonomas? You know, so <laughs> that would be just stupid. Talking about beer, I'm now drinking the second beer, which is Concrete Realities, six percent West Coast IPA, uh, dry hopped with Cascade, Citra, Enigma, and Simcoe. Beautiful fruity aroma. It's got a nice piney resinous flavor but also really vibrant juicy fruit flavors so i think it's a beautiful example of a 
of a, what would I call a modern West Coast IPA. I think we've gone past the days that you were talking about a few minutes ago, Bates, you know, where it was an IBU, IBU arms race. Nowadays, it's about taking the best of the, of the New England fruit flavours and, and balancing the beautifully with the bitterness. And I think you've done that to the extreme with this beer. It's, it's lovely. Yeah. I don't know. Like, uh, I guess maybe because they haven't reached over here in the prime condition and the time that they had their spike and like mid 2000s, the kind of West Coast IPA was really shining in the States. And that was the beacon of how you made an IPA. People consider that they were typically a bit more malty, a bit more muted on the hops and just really bitter. But that was also sometimes because you get them over here and they were a year old and had been hot sort of thing. But even if you take some that are kind of the now grandfathers of it, like Pliny the Elder and some of the other Blind Pig, some of those early ones, uh, Pizza Port and all that stuff, they were as aromatic or more so than any of the New England stuff. And actually the early New England adopters like Hill Farmstead and the Alchemist, if you taste those beers, they are fucking bitter. Like they have a defense beginning and an end. It's only this new kind of past five years that really tone the bitterness up the yeast esters. Here uh, or in the States? Both. I mean, it's you're taking a page and example of stuff that's made over here now from the likes of Trilliums and Treehouse and people like that. And they just took it in a different direction, made it softer, made it more yeast driven, a bit more that hot burn and not going through the conditioning time and all that sort of stuff like pack it as fresh and as new as possible so you're just drinking the liquid hops sort of thing so that's why like i think you could put something like alchemist down that somebody over here hasn't had it and had nothing but new england ipas that are brewed over here and you put like a focal finger down and got them to drink it they're like oh that's like so bitter and clean and bright but that's not a new england ipa and i'm like it is the quintessential new england ipa (laughs) Just back to concrete realities for a moment. It's not a core beer from your perspective, but it's one that you you, you will brew again. Is it an evolution of, of the style from your perspective? Yeah, I think on the brewing side of it is uh, we dabble heavier in sort of West Coast IPAs because that's what I came up with. And I just me personally, I find that is a better drinking beer. So it'll probably just be name change, different hops, sort of stuff mm-hmm. like that. But pretty much refining that base malt recipe getting that yeast profile that we want would you say um concrete realities is an extension of strong opinions or not yeah somewhat but i mean to me that people get really excited about hops i get really excited about water and yeast <laughs> just don't realize how much those two things affect like pretty much everybody's given the same level playing field as a brewer you can get slightly better idaho seven than somebody else slightly better citra than somebody else but you all have the same hops but it's understanding like water chemistry and how you make that interplay of bitterness be exactly how you want it that it's moorish you're wanting more of it it really interplays with the hops and the yeast and the malt that it can separate a decent ipa from an exceptional one even though you're using the exact same malts the exact same hops Mm. even sometimes the exact same but if you don't have that water profile dialed down where it's hitting all those yeah, con- concrete, I guess it will come back if, uh, if people want it to come back, which we're not necessarily like audience led. I think that you have to have a core with what you want to do as a brewery and you have to take your audience there and the ones that want to come will come and the ones that don't can basically not come. <laughs> and that's fine. That's, that's the whole point of taste, isn't it? That it's subjective and, and not everyone has to have the same thing. So, so no, we absolutely. want to... We want to we want to do the beers we want to do, and the people that want to stay with us will. And so there's some amount of pandering, and there's mm. and there's some not. So I think you know it, it'd be silly to just have a core range, and that's all we make. So I think we will do specials. And Bates wants to be challenged creatively as a brewer to think off piece a little bit. So I don't think we want to be a brewery that does the same thing day in and day out. But there's some part of us that want to take people on this journey that we want to do, where we're where we're challenging and pushing ourselves in the beers we make and and they will be the tonic and the test of that but it's a push and pull can't just I've, I've got this one guy and he's lovely and he rings me about every three months and asks me when I'm going to do a tipper and I'm like oh, probably probably never um, no. and he always goes no 
going to be great. You should, you should at least do a dipper. And I'm like, you know, I probably would do a dipper because if we must with grapes and verdant was really good for us. So, you know, I, I would maybe go up to an 8% hobby beer. But so I, I feel like we want to go down our route and hopefully we'll have enough people to make it a viable business. And mm. yeah. But yeah, I mean, speaking from a brewer side and logistics of what we order and what we schedule and stuff like that, it's good to kind of be a 50-50. It is good to have four or five beers in your back pocket that you've really dialed in because you got a lot of shit going on at the brew house of orders to things to people to managing. Sometimes it's nice to come in this week and just look at the brew schedule and like, oh, we're doing turtles and doses. Yep. <laughs> Great, we've got that dialed in because that gives you the freedom yes. and the mind space to start thinking about those seasonals. So if you're not always having... I mean, like, it, it does get to a point of, like, I'm having to think of, like, six different new beers, and it's like, just Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> uh, Enough of the purple carrots already, yeah. Yeah, just thinking of the beer and thinking of the yeast and the malt and the hops. But you say that, but you'd be so doing... bored if you just did the same ones all the time. Like, you, I, I can, no, I I can tell when a recipe is coming out of him because mm. he sits and we've got like a really big old fireplace and he sits there and he rocks back and forth on his rocking chair and he gets all his cookbooks out and, he, and he's got some books on oyster catchers and just, you know, like heritage <laughs> uh, traditions passed down kind of skills of cooking. And he sits there looking at those and reading those and then he comes out with a crazy beer. And um, crazy in the parameters that we set, which are, you know, maybe pick some local crops and work with a, a yeast that we're really interested in and, and not crazy in like shipping a whole load of puree. But yeah, I think you like those That's scientific a, challenges, but the backbone of having, mm. you know, I think we've, we've picked out about seven beers that we're going to make as much as the market will hold throughout our first year. And one of those we really hope is Quiet Song, which is our latest. Sort yeah. Of yeah. Like a lager and a West Coast and an American pale. Because if you don't revisit. Belgian pale. And if you don't revisit beers, you can never dial them in. Like, mm. um, you know, there's a reason you've got somebody like Orval who makes one style of beer and they make it better than anybody else mm. because they've, revisited it time and time and time again that's that audience that's that that audience performer or audience producer dynamic isn't it where it has to be in balance so we're duty bound to listen to feedback and we're duty bound at the same way to push back and say you know you can't call all the shots we shouldn't call all the shots let's get there together yeah i mean i like i tip a hat to daya the only reason Steady Rolling Man is as good as it is is because they stuck to their guns and like this is going to be our core pale. They brew it week in, week out, make it better mm -hmm. and better and better and better. And you can't do that if you're just trying to be like, oh, next week got to do a different pale, next week got to do a different pale. Mm -hmm. So you do have to have two or three beers that you're just really dialing in in order to have the mind space to go start doing those different beers because if you're just always doing something different, you just don't have the time, the mind space, and you just end up throwing shit against the wall and see what sticks, sort of thing. That makes sense. So, um, I'd like to get your thoughts on the proposed changes to the small brewer's tax relief that were announced last week. I'll find it a bitter pill to swallow to drink many more casts from a few big family breweries that are trying to impose taxation down on the smaller breweries. And I know that that's going to be a blowback. Uh, you know, very venerated sort of cast brewers like Tim Taylor's and Harvey's and all of them that are pushing these taxes on the smaller guys. Uh, also, know, if you tax all the small guys, you won't make that much tax because we don't make that much beer. It's like, <laughs> it's not for that reason, is it? It's a huge mess, isn't it? You know, it, 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 I, I've not studied it probably as deeply as you guys have, but it seems to me that it was originally something that Seba triggered by requesting a review of the whole process. And, you know, and, and yeah. now, now we're in this horrible place. I feel like there's always this threat isn't there that something new and shiny is going to come and pip you off the post and i honestly feel in life if you are kindred spirits and in beer we should be kindred spirits why can't we all be in it together i get it that big beer has to sort of feel like they need to acquire us or you know get us out the runnings and i think that there should be bodies in place that put fair play and non-compete and lots of things to sort of level the playing field but i just feel like at the minute especially after we've just like busted our fucking balls to like stay going. It's just 
it's just a really funny time and you know I'd even say to bottle shopkeepers stop getting in the imports and the showbiz and just like remember those domestic brands that tried yeah. to keep you going through this and yeah big big independent family-owned breweries like we're not a threat you could you could look at what we're doing and you could be like that's the future man maybe I need to step into the future a little bit too and maybe I need to you know impart some of our, our wisdom because they've got huge amounts of knowledge and everything towards us guys because we're the next thing like or we're the next generation and then big beer can, can do one as far as I'm concerned <laughs> it's, it's a funny old place I think and I just feel like I wish we could all get on a bit better and especially on the small end you know like everyone's sort of feeling quite competitive at the moment I guess and yeah I just feel like beer's beautiful it should exist on all levels <laughs> certainly should you guys are, are obviously focused on locally sourced ingredients where it makes sense for you I, I was curious to know if you've used any any English hops significantly uh, we, we have a, a weekly newsletter where we publish the, the new beer releases for the week it's usually a sort of roll call of US hops you know Citra, Mosaic, Galaxy, Sabro whatever with a few experimental strains thrown in but just this week actually that there were two new beers released one from Dig Brew and one from Turning Point both featured English experimental varieties. Um, I think they both had Jester, Harlequin and Mystic mm -hmm. hops, which are ones that I've heard, I've heard referenced before. I, I'm guessing they're probably US style hops rather than sort of traditional English hops. But I, I was wondering if you guys have looked into that and are planning to, to, to utilize more English hops. Yeah, there's sort of one problem with that is English hops are typical, what we call snickle frits of hops. Of, it got kind of left behind and most uh, hop houses and stuff stop investing in equipment and everything so you get a lot of english hops and that's the reason they get that sort of style of sticks and twigs because um there are people like brook house over in herefordshire that are doing things the right way and i think you'll really see them come up in the next two mm -hmm. three years and the thing is you don't necessarily need to have these new bells and whistle english hops things like EKG are one of my favorite hops in the world um, when they're done right so the thing is if you get more people like Brookhouse who are trying to do it the right way they're growing all their own stuff they've got the binding equipment they've got the kilning they've got the bailing they've got the pelletizer and the more you see that over the next five years yes I think you'll see more English hops but for the most part the processing is what lets the English hops down because um, just I mean, and that's no knock on anybody that's growing them because I know they're doing a lot of hard work and they're probably making an exceptional hop, but the processing of it fails it. And when you get it there to the brew house, you're like, this is a subpar product of what I'm getting from Germany, the States, Australia, New Zealand. I mean, you do a lot of noble hops, don't you? Yeah. And I mean, like Hallertal region, that, that's a prime example. It's like Hallertal region is the classic noble hops of Germany, the same yep. as you'd have Buggles, EKG, WGV, and stuff like that. In the UK, it's just they stayed with the times. And what's more, to bang on that dead horse, they didn't stay with tradition for tradition's sake. They updated. Mm -hmm. They got better equipment. They put the science and the research in, like, the Hallertal region. You make those hops better and better. So now, I mean, I open up bags of, like, Mandarin and Bavaria, which mm -hmm. are kind of a new German hop, but they're still in that noble variety in there big bags of orange they're pelletized really well they're yep. quality oily hops when you get them and you just don't get that from most english varieties just because they get let down they're great in the field and they get let down in the process oh, that's really interesting we're obviously in a cautious emergence from lockdown now and mm -hmm. we've still got some summer left so what are your plans at duration to uh, to make the most of, of what we got left of the summer um, with your tap room and with events and, and other activities so yeah, we, we spent a lot of lockdown. We only stopped production for three weeks uh, during lockdown, which meant in April we had very depleted stocks, which caused us to add an extra tank to try and rebuild sort of a, a sense of range. Um, and we went a lot to online. So we did a lot of online tours. We knew a lot of people that were shielding and we just thought it'd be a nice way to sort of share our story. And they, they were really popular and worked really well for us. Um, and now that we're sort of, cautiously emerging we've seen a huge resurgence in kind of local interest so we've um gone back on the taps of, of a couple of local pubs and, nice. and and we've 
so many inquiries for you know really beautiful kind of local offerings and up here in sort of I think Norfolk's like the the I don't know it's a it's a really high UK to UK sort of holiday destination um huge amount of coast and everything so yeah we've seen lots of interest from kind of all sorts of like third spaces I guess you say everything from like cricket clubs to fish and chip outlets to high-end restaurants nice. and holiday lets and so it's it's really interesting so we thought given that we didn't invest the money we were going to in opening a tap room um it's kind of a bit late in the day to do that we're opening up a brewery kiosk where we already do like a click and collect service on a Friday, mostly brewers and mostly production facilities. So just a little opportunity to swing by on a Friday after work or, you know, four till six and pick up what you've ordered online. But we're also going to do a little um, sort of cellar door approach where if you happen to bring a mask, you can kind of pass through, get a coffee, get a pastry, and then they pick up something from the fridges and have, have us, um sort of show you the brewery not quite a tour but it's a shopping experience on your way off to the beach or to a picnic or to whatever your norfolk adventure is going to be yeah so i guess that's the way that we're doing it and up here it's all i mean it's we'd always plan for it to be quite feast and famine kind of spring summer autumn and then kind of go into hibernation or or just service a small very local um thing because in in norfolk it's it's a bit like new zealand like there's a lot more you know sheep and and deer than there are people (laughs) (laughs) or pigs maybe more pigs Pigs, yeah plenty of pigs (laughs) april april october it's heaving Heaving. here around the beaches and people having weekends or weeks away and there's just lots of second homes and things as well aren't there yeah so that's kind of always been the plan which is great because it means like december january we can maybe even not have a tap room to upkeep, to maintenance on equipment, all that sort of stuff, and just keep brewing beer. Um, so we'll probably put off like a full-on sit-down tap room, have a beer there, take beers away till spring of next year. Yeah, right. I think we've got online tours booked in, like online tour once a month, like the second week, second Thursday of the month or something. And then I think we're doing fortnightly in-person tours, like opening from September onwards. Right. Provide it continues as is so that there's there's a little local offering that you know people nearby or if you feel like coming from further away can tap into but i think yeah our big kind of launch thing got buried in covid and maybe yeah, we'll come it's the next year i mean it, it is sad but in a way it kind of i remember speaking to lucy and mike actually mm-hmm. at, at double and they got their taproom up and open really early and and I think it's been a great revenue provider and source of comfort and blending with the community for them and it and it's been great for Reading um certainly has I can vouch for that but they yeah (laughs) but but they also said you know if you're a production facility and you're a taproom they're two very separate things so I think we want to it's been it's been nice in a way to sort of stay a bit hidden and just put beer in the world and and we're really lucky that we work with regional wholesalers and and you know all the bottle shops have been really kind to us in this period and now the pubs are coming back so yeah we're just we're just keen to sort of keep going and not not hurry into anything really so it's fine very good so I have one penultimate question for you which is i'm keen to ask each of the the breweries that i interviewed to um to give a shout out to a little guy and so i'm you know i'm interested with you know we've spoken about some of your neighbors already so i don't know whether there's one that we haven't already spoken about that you can think of that, that you'd like to to suggest that that uh, our audience takes an interest in the next time they're up your way you know whether it be uh, whether it be cask or craft, it doesn't matter um, whether it's a bottle shop, whether it's something else, but something in the beer industry that's close to your heart that you'd like to promote. I would like to promote Luke over at the Chubby Seal in Holt. He is a three, if not four tap, one cask beer cafe, I would say, with, nice. with a lodge. And I think he had a couple of, sausage rolls or something you can have on the on the bar and and it's it's just this tiny little place that whenever we're going up to the coast we stop in on and I feel like to be out in 
a place where population density is really rare and season <laughs> a big thing to just be sort of putting that flag in the sand and and um trying to be an educator and and a introducer to beer in in a place where you know there's a couple of family breweries and a couple of macro breweries i think i think that's a really amazing thing to be doing so i think chubby seal and yeah the grizzly bell which is a gorgeous country pub i feel like some of these places are our front men and i feel i feel like especially as we're kind of almost virtually an entire production facility at the moment without our taproom being here some of those people who just are like do you know what i'm going to introduce people to this beer i don't even know i've only been drinking it a little while and and it's really exciting for me and i'm I'm just going to put it out there and i'm going to tell people about these five breweries that i think are amazing and i'm going to keep learning and keep sharing i think that's brilliant like the, the brizzy bell that the front of house there is a guy called will and he's just ecstatic and exuberant and so excited about beer and i just feel like having people like that represent us means everything and yeah it's brilliant brilliant that's what this industry is all about isn't it that's 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 beautiful thanks uh, Miranda. Mm-hmm. perfect so i have a wrap-up question and i'd like an answer from each of you please if you don't mind and that is what would be your ultimate happy hour where you would be who you'd be with um apart from each other i guess uh, and what you would be drinking who wants to go first? I'll go first. <laughs> My ultimate happy hour would probably be at this tap room that we envisioned that we haven't delivered yet. <laughs> <laughs> My uncle, who comes up and does our garden, would make me amazing cocktails. He's just done this thing with clarified butter and bourbon. Um, and then there'd be a huge fridge full of mixed firm beers like Mills, Fontaflora, um, a little bit of Jester King. Jester King's got to be in there. Maybe Tom's there, but maybe some of just the Saison's in there as well. And there'd, there'd probably be quite a broad bar and there'd definitely be dancing. Dancing. <laughs> Lovely. So when you said with each other, maybe Bates wouldn't be out because he's not beginning to dance. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Bates? Uh, so probably be sitting on a beach in front of the fire, drinking a bourbon, listening to music, uh, just hanging out with friends. What will be in the cool box? Probably like a steaming some oysters, maybe a pig in the ground, uh, vegetables, and nothing really fancy. I just enjoy experience around with people and staring at a fire and catching up and plenty of bourbon on the rocks he hasn't mentioned beer once i know we need both of you your first choice drink yours has some clarified butter in it and bates you're drinking bourbon (laughs) at least i have six firms in there man (laughs) like a massive tap of keller pills and then maybe like i don't know and i mean in all honesty i'm surrounded by so much beer all the time 90% 90% of the time when I come home in the evening, I have a bourbon on the rocks. I don't he even does. have a beer. And I have a dinner. <laughs> and, uh, then, and then because we're so remote, we often just drink our own beer. <laughs> and if, if other brewers are kind enough, you know, like we got Unity, um, mm. a good friend of ours, and they've, they've been doing a lot of guest beers. And I, I stupidly forgot to charge them for a couple of cases. So I was like, oh, I forgot to charge you. They're like, it's all right. We'll just send you a couple of cases back. <laughs> so I think I think brew, brew trades are how we how we try a lot of our beers. Otherwise, nice. we yeah. Why wouldn't you? Absolutely. So I'm gonna have the beers. It'd just be something like a Rothaus or Augustiner mm-hmm. in the bottles on ice in the cooler. Uh, I'm a big fan of simple. I don't really like to overcomplicate things, and I don't want bells and whistles and fireworks and stuff like that. That's not my happy place. Something that's Surrounded by nature, the ocean breaking, hearing that sound, fire burning, people there, their music. See, and I'm the extrovert. I'll be the one doing the pointy arrows at herself. <laughs> <laughs> and come on, face, leave the oysters, leave the sunset. Well, no. apart from the apart from the sound of the ocean baits, I think where you set yourself up uh, there in Westacre ticks most of those boxes. So you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm very grateful to you both for for spending the evening with me. Um, really enjoyed the conversation. I'm very it's impressed. Great. 
very impressed what you guys are, are building there and uh, i promise you you know as soon as soon as we're able to do that kind of thing i'm going to be i'm going to be an early visitor to to take a look uh, for myself uh, because you know, no, like, uh, I, it looks wonderful yeah i feel so lucky having all of this to ourselves it's like it's almost been a golden moment to not have to share it but equally i'm i'm a, i'm a, like a songbird or i live in 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 the minds of other people so i can't wait to be hospitable and welcome people in and yeah i can't wait for when you come and have a look around and show you it fantastic thank you so much for your time guys really enjoyed it oh thanks ever so much come see us soon yeah i certainly will thanks very much good night Bye. bye coming up in the next few weeks we have interviews with neptune pig love and pipeline If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you decide to subscribe to the podcast so you receive each episode automatically every Tuesday morning. If you enjoy the podcast, please tell your friends and leave us a review in your podcast app. It really helps others to discover the show. This Week in Craft Beer was established in January 2020 to promote the independent UK craft beer scene via a free weekly newsletter published every Monday. The newsletter includes the key new beer releases from the previous week, as well as an extensive directory of web shops and other craft beer news. As things open up again, we will also feature a detailed events calendar, taproom directory and taproom reviews. You can register to receive this by email every Monday morning at thisweekincraft.beer.